you're listening to the Subscribe podcast. Um, my name is Julia Jackson. I'm the managing editor for the Scribe. This is Taylor Burnfield. I'm the website manager. And this is uh, Devin Martinez, and I am the sports editor at the Scribe. And we are all sort of here just to discuss Hispanic Heritage Month um, because all of us have Hispanic heritage, and it's something that we deemed important to talk about. Um, Hispanic Heritage Month runs from September 15th through October 15th, um, and the reasoning behind those dates for those curious is just sort of um, September 15th corresponds to a bunch of independent states in Latin America. Um, but for those of us living in the states, um, it just becomes a time when we can celebrate our heritage and sort of reflect back on the experiences of our families and ourselves in this country. Um, but yeah. So to start out with, we're just going to discuss sort of what Hispanic Heritage Month means to each of us. Um, do you want to start? I can go first. Yeah, so I think for me, Hispanic Heritage Month um, is something I really look forward to every year um, because I grew up in Texas, and unfortunately, a lot of the stereotypes about Texas in the South are true. Like, there is a lot of prejudice there, and there is a lot of prejudice against Hispanic people because Texas is in such close proximity to Mexico and there's just a lot of negative stereotypes about Mexican people and just Latin America in general and growing up I definitely dealt with that a lot and like whenever I would talk about my heritage like I definitely got a lot of negative feedback about that or just like misconceptions people had about my background and so I feel like Hispanic Heritage Month is a really good time to just educate people about not just Mexico, but just other Latin American countries and just breaking down a lot of the stereotypes that still exist in the media, unfortunately. So for me, that's what Hispanic Heritage Month is about, is just educating people. Um, I would say that uh, Hispanic Heritage Month is something that's newer to me on I. I just figured out about it like a couple years ago. Kind of embarrassed that it took so long. Um, but uh, uh, for me, last year was the first year where I actually really thought about it because before it was like, it, I'm just not someone who really thought about like where I came from. I just was like, oh, I'm part Mexican. I'm part this. I'm part that. I never really like actually thought about it. So last year was the first year where I was like, oh my gosh, like I really just took a second to really appreciate uh, where I've come from and uh, my family and that side of my family and to uh, like, uh, like just to appreciate it on a different level than I never actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of on the same page as Devin, I really only started thinking about Hispanic Heritage Month more recently, you know, um, but in my mind, it's... Uh, I, I guess because of the nature of the setting that we're in, like going to a university here, like it's like Kate Taylor was saying, it's an opportunity to educate and like sort of delve into more resources about like Hispanic culture and about like how that intersects with like what's thought of as American culture. Um, and just like doing more research and reading and also listening to like the perspectives of other Hispanic people online who are sort of like having these discussions, but like the discussions haven't become fully mainstream yet. And so that's sort of what we're tackling here, I think. Um, But yeah, I think it's just a valuable opportunity to do that and 
like appreciate where we come from. Um, something that comes up when we talk about Hispanic Heritage Month is sort of the idea of like, what does the term Hispanic really mean? And like in recent years, that has, there's been sort of a push um, in the U.S. more than in Latin American countries, I think, to use the term Latinx or Latinx or however you want to say it. Um, and there's also like pushback against that, but it's it's about sort of finding what would be the best term because like Hispanic connotes Spain, you know, and yeah. we're quite a ways out from that. Um, yeah. And sort of like to center the importance of like a Latin American identity as opposed to a Hispanic identity would mean like changing that term a little bit. So we just wanted yeah. to talk about that. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that. And I think um you know, there is some controversy over the term Hispanic Heritage Month. Like some people want to include the term Latin into that. So it's Hispanic and Latin Heritage Month. And I think that's, I I don't have an issue with that. I think that's a good idea because I think that encompasses more people because Hispanic is kind of limiting in who it's referring to. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Um, I guess I, I, I don't know what the perfect word, word is. And I'm... I guess I'm a little annoyed by people pretending that they have found the perfect word and the entire conversation is over. Uh, I I believe that there's been several polls where, like, it's shown that, like, not a lot of people um, who label themselves Hispanic or Latin really like the term Latinx. Mm -hmm. And um, it comes from the position of just, like, a lot of them disagree with it for the fact of they they weren't part of the conversation to even create the term in the first place. So Mm -hmm. I think that... I think that the conversation over what terms to use, there's still a lot more breathing breathing room. So I don't really have an opinion on what term should be used or what's the end all. Um, uh, I know I'm someone who always likes specific things. And I, I think sometimes it's really hard to come up with a term that encompasses everybody and makes everybody happy. Um, I know the way I view Hispanic Heritage Month, I look at it from, from the perspective of just Mexican. Well, someone may look at it from uh, your Reproving, yeah. yeah. So it's all in, in the, in those two cultures are very different in themselves mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my take on it is also from sort of a linguistic perspective. Um, just that is part of the reason why Latinx has caught traction here in the U.S., but not so much in Latin American countries, is because the X doesn't work with you know how you pronounce words in Spanish. Um, and like an alternative that I've seen to that that is like addressing the question of whether Latinx is like meant to be a gender neutral term even though like the root Latin would already be gender neutral um I think Taylor sort of falls more on that end yeah Um, but you could also use the term Latina which like the E in Spanish serves as a neutral like when you're using pronouns as well as when you're conjugating um not conjugating but like um making your adjectives match your subject it just works all around um but i haven't really experienced its use very much and so it's it feels like a very new thing and i don't really have like a perspective on whether it is or not but it's just another thing that sort of exists in this arena and it's an option to talk about yeah and i think language you know is evolving all the time so i don't think 
we have to say like, okay, this is the word we're going to use right now. We're going to use this word forever because like Mm -hmm. language is always changing. So like, I think it's kind of dangerous to be like, okay, this is the term we've decided on. We're going to use this for now on because, you know, language always changes. So you had mentioned like the term Hispanic didn't start to be used on like the U.S. census until the 1970s or something like that. And it was sort of like the origin of that term was basically imposed by the government and yeah. like being a box that you can fit yourself into because like we I guess have this idea that we should like make these neat categories even though like the majority of people don't fall squarely into one or the other yeah know? like that's the thing like I feel like the government or like other institutions kind of force these labels onto people and just says okay these are your four to five choices and this is all you have but like people are more complex than that and I feel like people like if we're talking about government forms and things like that I think people should be able to just write in whatever they want instead of having to choose from like four little boxes um and yeah so like with the term Hispanic that really didn't start to come into use until the 70s before the 70s there really wasn't an option you could choose and that word Hispanic was just you know something that the government created but I don't think they ever actually talked to people and said like well what do you you know what do you call yourself Mm -hmm. you know and I think that's a problem that's still going on is I feel like these kind of higher institutions are just like coming up with terms and just forcing them on people and not really having conversations with people and asking them like what they prefer to be called and I think that's a good conversation to have and you know some people maybe they don't prefer Hispanic maybe they don't prefer Latinx either maybe there's something else and I think just talking to people I mean I think that's really what we should be doing is just talking to people instead of just saying okay this is what I think we should this is the word I think we should use yeah to go off your point I think it's because language changes naturally yeah. It doesn't change when it's imposed. Yeah, that's if true. Hispanic, Latinx, whatever the new term is, like, it should be a natural shift. It shouldn't be like, well, language changes, but it's like, yeah, it does, but not in this way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's 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 interesting because I remember growing up, my dad, my dad was like, you're not Hispanic, you're, you're Mexican. <laughs> you know, but it was a very specific thing on mm-hmm. that. Um, so I don't know. I, I I wonder how difficult it is to actually come up with something that's is able to bring because like uh, even though the experiences of everyone is completely different uh being um having family from uh from that part of the world and being in america is definitely a different experience that a lot of doesn't matter if you're mexican or you're peruvian or you wherever your family comes from like everyone i've talked to like some of the experiences are very similar Mm -hmm. uh, of especially being mixed in america yeah for sure um, so we'll sort of circle back to this discussion about like being mixed and all of that a little bit later. But um, for right now, why don't we just sort of address like why is Hispanic Heritage Month important to us? What are our like specific backgrounds? Because we've been referencing them, but I think yeah. the listeners should probably um, just get to hear our stories a little bit. Um, I can go first. Um, so my mom's side of my family, my grandmother's side specifically is from Mexico. 
Um, and I grew up in Texas, and there is a very strong Mexican presence in Texas because Texas is right next to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, you know, I would openly talk about my background because I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. But as I got older, I learned, like, uh, sometimes other people, like, would kind of force this, like, shame on me. Like, they wanted me to feel ashamed or embarrassed of my background and I never accepted that I was like no this is who I am I'm not gonna like hide who I am to make you more comfortable you know and like um growing up I heard a lot of like just negative comments like oh your family you know came here and they they're not legal citizens and blah 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 stuff like that just like really like negative um derogatory statements people would make about that side of my family and then even growing up hearing stories that my grandmother would tell me or my great-grandmother would tell me about just like racist experiences they would have like just stories where they had experienced discrimination like I remember um, my mom telling me the story about um, my grandmother was looking for an apartment in San Antonio Texas and she had gone to this apartment complex and asked them, oh, do you have any available apartments? And like the salesperson who was a, a white woman told her, oh no, we, all the apartments are sold. We don't have any apartments available. And like my mom who is, you know, she looks white. She has blonde hair, blue eyes. She was suspicious of that. So she went to that same apartment complex and asked her like, oh, is there an apartment available? And, and the lady told her, oh yeah, we have tons of apartments available. So. And that happened in the 80s, so, like, that wasn't really that long ago. But, I mean, just growing up hearing stories like that and then just my own experiences with people whenever I would open up about my background, just a lot of the negative stereotypes that people have and um, just the misunderstandings people have about um, Mexican culture. Um I think Hispanic Heritage Month is important to me because I just think it's important to educate people, you know, about Hispanic culture and about Mexican culture. And I feel like um, something that always bothered me growing up is a part of my family is, you know, Italian, a part of my family is Scottish, a part of my family is Polish. And like whenever I would talk about those sides of my family, there was never any negative feedback I got from that. And yet when I would talk about the Mexican side of my family, it was always negative feedback and I feel like in kind of the public school system we there's a lot of education about Europe like we learn a lot about Europe and I feel like people understand like okay Italian culture is different than Polish culture and Polish culture is different than you know Russian culture or whatever but when it comes to like Latin American culture there's this idea that like it's all the same yeah. and that you know it's all bad like there's always this negative idea about Latin America and so i think just spreading awareness and spreading education about that is really important um i would say that my experience is uh i i just feels weird um so my mom's french and black my dad's Mexican and white. Sometimes we joke Mexican and redneck. <laughs> <laughs> but because um, um, I, my like with with that, I always I, it was it was just completely normal to me. So I thought everyone else's families <laughs> were like that, but that's clearly not true. Uh, and um, and also it's just it's always strange because I I'm a I, I'm a white guy with uh, blue eyes, so no one really 
knows that about about me and then uh, the only thing that someone could know if i am mexican is if they see my last name martinez um but yeah i just it's it's always been it's always been kind of it's kind of a fun experience because it's like i've always felt like an outsider especially if i'm around even if 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 i'm around some friends of mine that are their entire family is completely mexican i feel like an outsider in some perspective over there i feel like an outsider if i'm just around a bunch of people who are just white and it's it's a it's it's definitely a unique experience to have all four sides of my family and also just knowing that like a lot of like uh the racism that persisted like like a lot of it was just doesn't feel like it was supposed to happen um like the interracial marriages in my family and how difficult that was um i know my grandmother uh she grew up in the south and uh it was not a good idea for her to marry a man that's mexican and um according to um, a lot of things in our family and all those struggles and growing up and hearing that it's it definitely just makes you very appreciative for who you are and everyone before you who uh, had to go through all that discrimination for you to just be there so i'm very appreciative of my experience and uh, of having of, of living through that experience especially and i hope that more people will be able to experience that um i know that i know that the u.s demographics are changing uh, there's a lot more interracial marriages and uh, families uh, and uh, more people are experiencing that it's a unique perspective and it really just makes you more thankful for things in america um as far as my experience um it's my mom's side of the family is peruvian um my mom is actually she was born in peru um she came to the u.s like a couple of years before i was born um but the sort of different perspective that i have on this is i've just experienced like a very big disconnect from my culture um growing up because my mom um when she got here her mentality was very much like fitting in trying to do things the american way um and so that sort of like she never talked much about like what her life was like in Peru and I've only sort of started to pick up bits and pieces of that now that I'm older you know and like I've been to Peru I visited three times and like that was the first time that I had met my grandparents there you know um but even with that even though like I've since learned to speak Spanish and I've like tried to do so much like research about it research only gets you so far like when you live somewhere else you it's just it becomes harder to stay connected to that place and like the other thing is I know it's hard on my mom too especially like to be separated from her family and to like not be able to express her culture and like I know that she is repressing it in many ways because of like the racism that you experience here in the U.S. for those things um but yeah Beyond that, it's like my Hispanic heritage or my Peruvian heritage, you know, it's it's something that I've had to work very hard to get in touch with, you know, and similar to Taylor and Devin, like I am white passing, but then that like, um, it's a weird gray area with that too, because when I'm standing next to my mom, like I, I look Peruvian, but then when I'm standing next to my dad, I look white. And so it's like, that also largely depends on where you grow up and like 
growing up in rural Georgia was very different to when I moved here to Colorado. Um, so there are just, there are so many different factors at play in like what makes a Latin American identity, what makes like a Latin US American identity, you know? Um, and I think it's just, it's really valuable to hear other people's stories because there are so many stories like ours and then there are so many stories that are not like ours. There are like first-hand accounts of people who are first-generation immigrants to the U.S. And like that, I want to be clear that that's like its own very different thing that deserves like a voice to speak about it. It's just that we don't have anyone with that experience on staff. But I'm very much enjoying like hearing the perspectives that are in this room. I think that's very valuable in and of itself. Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's even like I mentioned I've had a mostly positive experience. I haven't had many people say anything to me because of because of that. Um, um, of course, there's always at least one person you walk into who's very vocal. Um, is Actually, I'm curious. Have you had any of you said a lot of that was in Texas? Has any of that yeah. happened in Colorado? No, I haven't yeah. had that happen in Colorado. And I remember my grandmother actually told me because my family is originally from Colorado Springs my family immigrated from Mexico in the 1920s to Colorado Springs and then they moved to Texas in the 80s so that's how I ended up growing up in Texas but I remember my grandmother told me like in Colorado they didn't really have any issues with racism Mm -hmm. in in Colorado but then when they moved to Texas was really the first time they were treated differently because they were Mexican. That's really interesting. Like the having been living in Colorado and then going in pro- closer proximity to the border, like yeah. creates a much more different dynamic between people. It yeah. Seems like. Yeah, I mean overall, I uh, Colorado's pretty open. Of yeah. course, like of course, I bet there are stories out there. As you said, there's definitely thousands of stories, and there's definitely there definitely is. Uh, you know, people who are racist mm-hmm. in the state, but overall, it's a pretty open state, and a lot of people seem to be very interested. You know, every time I, because people just see me. You, you even said that you're like, I thought you were just a typical white guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but like the minute someone sees my last name Martinez, they like sometimes not every time, but sometimes people will ask me about it. They're like, Oh, you're, you're I didn't know you're part Mexican, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, and then it's just it's a conversation that people are interested in hearing. Mm-hmm. Versus I lived in Texas for a bit, and it wasn't like that. Even in Austin, Texas. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Dallas, so Uh, I don't know. Maybe it depends on what part of Texas you live in, but... Yeah. In Texas, did people usually, like, assume you were white or assume that you were... Or, like, both? Oh, in Texas, there wasn't ever a surprise, I think, just because, especially in Austin, Uh there's a lot of... There's just more mixed people in te- Texas right. in general, yeah. especially in, uh, in Austin. Austin. Austin's a pretty open city. It is, uh, yeah. But here, there seems to not be as many. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that, like, in Texas, in Austin, Texas, I think they were, like, more open to the idea of, like, oh, uh, that makes sense that, yeah. that you know, if it you know like more, the norm, it's the norm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is another thing you get when you get closer to the border, even though... Even though that you hear more stories about people being uh, disgusting, you also hear like, oh, there's a lot more mix. There's a, you know, there's still a lot, yeah. a lot of people who share that experience. I don't know if it was like that in Dallas, but I well, I think for me, most of my negative experiences with like people having negative um, ideas about Mexican people, that didn't really happen until I moved um, 
out to kind of a smaller town because like I grew up in kind of the Dallas area which is like a really big city it's very diverse and I didn't really have any bad experiences there but then when I was in high school my family moved kind of out in the middle of nowhere to like a really really small town and I went to high school in a really small town where it was like 100 people at my high school and it was like pretty much everybody was white and um and like when my brother and I started going to school there like my my brother looks very Hispanic like we don't really look related and people would naturally ask like oh why does your brother look different like is he your stepbrother and I'd be like no like our mom is part Mexican blah 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 and I would like tell our story and then that's when the racism would come out and they would say negative things and I was like really confused by that like why do people have such a negative opinion about Mexican people and now as I've gotten older and I kind of look back on that I think those people I mean they were high school aged kids they were young I think they were kind of just repeating what their parents probably told them and I think also growing up in a really small town where they probably had never met like somebody who was not white they just the only thing they knew was what they saw like in the media or what their parents told them and and I'm not making excuses for them, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. that probably played a part in their reaction. And hopefully, like, I haven't kept in touch with any of those people. Hopefully now that they've grown up and they're adults, hopefully they're more, like, open-minded. But mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know. And also, yeah, I, I also don't see uh, anything you said as, like, making excuses for them. It's just yeah. understanding, like, trying to understand where they're, ne- especially high schoolers, the negative. Yeah. A perspective like that because that's not a fully developed human yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably repeating what their parents are saying yeah yeah which is sad well sort of on the topic of like texas and um <laughs> being closer to the border um i know you have a lot of stories about like mexican food specifically like that's something oh, yeah. that's very big in your family yeah. and i figured it would be neat for us to just sort of share those like things about our cultures that we do that we are familiar with and like feel very personal to us yeah uh, so my family's from phoenix mm-hmm. um uh and uh i and i know like uh like one, one thing about mexican food that i've just been learning about i've been learning how to cook um everything from enchiladas to tamales to the red chili burritos everything's amazing <laughs> i mean i'm not the best cook yet i'm not saying what i'm making is amazing yet but it's all it's all just a part of like my diet and it always always be a part of my diet uh, but um um so with with mexican food you know i always get really annoyed when somebody says uh sorry there's a little bit of a rant coming but <laughs> it's like people are just like i love authentic mexican food but i'm like what do you mean you know there's, there's different types of mexican food that's authentic mm-hmm. the, the authentic mexican food that i grew up on is called sonoran and it comes from the northern part of mexico next to arizona and arizona so it's a mixture it's a it's a mexican-american food that was developed by um mexican-americans and also uh just the entire region developed it and uh that's to me what is authentic but i'm not gonna say that i love authentic mexican food i just love sonoran authentic mexican food but there's so many different types of mm-hmm. mexican food and it goes back to which what was mentioned earlier it's just like this is like inside of mexico just like inside of america there's different types of american food there's different types of mexican food depending on the region same thing across south america like people are different from everything and it goes with the food and uh, 
yeah, I guess that's not really much of a rant, just like a thing of like, <laughs> just like, just like, hey, if you, if you go up to someone and say you uh, like authentic Mexican food, just be authentic, just be knowledge, like have a little bit of knowledge on what that means and also like, um, and also the type of food that you like because I've tried some other Mexican food from some from somebody else and their family came from a different part of Mexico. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't like authentic Mexican food. It just means I like the one that I grew up on. Yeah, which that is makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and Sonoran basically is the one where they they just throw red chili on everything. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> red chili on the rice, but um, the uh, beans, everything. It's just um, I really love that. Do you guys prefer red chilies or green chilies? Red chili. Mm, I don't like chilies that much. Oh, I like um, the green chilies. I'm, yeah. I'm a fake Latin American. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I guess, a controversy. Like, I didn't know that was, like, yeah, I'm a, a fake thing. one. I, I, I can't speak Spanish. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, I can handle... That's another interesting thing. Like, spicy Latin American food, I can eat just fine. Um, whereas, like... Mediterranean spicy food or like Asian spicy food, I'm very bad at. Um, but That's I'm, interesting. I'm just not that big of a fan of sp- spicy in general. Um, mm. But like, doesn't mean I don't like spices. I'm not completely white. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, for me, what bit of culture that I've like absorbed from my mom is less um, of that, of the food side and more sort of on. Um, the literary side um i've just i've spent a lot of time like like i said research doesn't get you all the way there to understanding your own culture but it is it can be like an integral part of it and so i've done a lot of like studying not only peruvian literature but also just like latin american literature as a whole um and like poetry especially and that's something that's like the language of spanish for me is very important and like learning sort of the history of like my country as well as like all of Latin America you know that's that's sort of my favorite thing because it's like America like (laughs) Taylor mentioned earlier it's um something that we just aren't taught in like grade school you know um and you have to sort of really seek it out when you're like only being taught European history essentially yeah what about you what's your favorite um, I think thing. my favorite component of like Mexican culture is the music. Like mm-hmm. growing up, I listened to so much like different types of Latin music. I'm surprised that I'm not able to speak Spanish because so <laughs> yeah. much of the music I listened to growing up was in Spanish. But I love not just music that's like from Mexico, but just Latin music in general. Like I love like um, you know, Cuban music and Puerto Rican music. And I love probably my, one of my favorite genres is bossa nova, which is a type of jazz that came from Brazil. Um, and I love like flamenco, like the Spanish guitar, Mm -hmm. you know, I love bolero, which is kind of like a Mexican, like folk music. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just love all different types of Latin music. And I grew up listening to so many different artists and Mm I really wish I spoke Spanish so I could understand the lyrics, but I think the music is what really kind of helps me feel connected to my culture because like most of my Mexican relatives that I was really close to, they've all passed away, Mm -hmm. but they like introduced me to so many different types of music. Mm -hmm. So like when I listen to that music, it just makes me feel closer to them. Yeah, it's a way of keeping them with you. Yeah. Um, One other thing I thought of, just like from the few times that I've been to Peru, you know, like 
it feels inauthentic, like I'm treating these as souvenirs more than anything. But um, uh, one of the like biggest, not biggest, that's the wrong word. I'm just, I'm thinking about um, Peruvian street markets and like open air markets and how that's like, it's such a different thing from what you would see in the States. Um, but like there's open air markets like for food, but then there's also like, there's a lot of craftsmanship that comes from Peru. Um, and like, like the process of bartering with people to sort of get like um, five solace off of your like blanket that you're trying to buy, you know? Um, just things like that, that sort of stick with me about that experience of having visited and also like the physical things that I have, like um, alpaca wool blankets, especially those are so cozy. <laughs> and also like my cats agree, and, like those are like their favorite blankets. And I always, I just find that cute. And it's, it's something that like, I don't know, like when I'm just alone and like doing my own thing like going about my day and like snuggled up in one of those you know it's like a little bit of a reminder so, yeah I, like I absolutely love this because it's literature music and food like yeah, yeah. really yeah <laughs> yeah covers the whole spectrum i also want to add alcohol i love tequila <laughs> <laughs> love margaritas <laughs> which was actually created by mexican miners Ooh. and um uh, mexican-american miners like I don't know if it was immigrant. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just want to make sure I get it more correct. But in uh, in Arizona, that oh, were, I didn't the mines know that. in Arizona, like there. margaritas as a drink. Or yeah, that's that? it was developed uh, by some miners in the mountains in Arizona by Mexican um, miners, and I just find that so interesting. Right, um, that's cool. This isn't. I mean, I'm not of age, so I can't technically <laughs> talk that much about alcohol. But um, I know from my mom. Um, one of the things that she buys from time to time is called Pisco Sour, and it's like kind of hard to find here. Oh. Um, but it's like a very Peruvian alcohol, and it's made from like, um, it's made a very particular way in the mountains, and I can't remember what it is, but like a different sort of, it's not, um, just a different sort of fermentation process. And there's also a whole like little bit of a cultural war between Peru and Chile because like, each one of them claims to have made the pisco sour first, <laughs> and it's, it's a whole thing. Do you know, like, what type of food is popular in Peru? Because I don't uh, really know much about their food. Yeah, a lot of it, well, no. Um, you'll find sort of similar things, I think, but in the way that, like, a lot of Mexican food has, like, the staples of, you know, meat, rice, beans, tortilla, cheese, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, like, your chilies, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, Peruvians, like, their staple dish like that is ceviche, which is, like, um, basically a kind of fish with, like, a lemon marinade on it. Um, and that's because, like, Peru is coastal, too, you know? So, uh, Mexico is also coastal, obviously, yeah. but that's sort of, like, what Devin was talking about. You'll get different sorts of food from different regions. Mm -hmm. Um, but, like, Lima is right on the coast, and so they have a lot of, like fish especially. And Sonoran does not have any fish since right. it's on the northern tip of the border right. near Arizona. Huh. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. What about tamales? Do you have tamales for Christmas? I, well, growing up we always made menudo. Oh. 
And I'm like, I became a vegetarian when I was really young. So wow. like, I'm kind of limited in what I can eat, like with right. Mexican food, because a lot of it does have meat. But menudo is like a soup that has like the organs of mm-hmm. animals, like in the soup. Yeah, which it's really good. I, yeah, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I like tamales, like with cheese. I mean, that's mm-hmm. good, and like chili rellenos. Yeah, you kind of have to go with green chilies since green yeah. chilies are vegetarian. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, and I remember my um, great-great-grandmother. I never met her, but I was always told like that she would always make fried cauliflower. Like, I mm. guess that was her thing. I don't mm. know if that was just something she made or if that's like a traditional Mexican dish, but she would always like bread. She would like bread the cauliflower and like mm. fry it. Mm-hmm. The um, most common thing, like Peruvian dish that I had growing up was arroz con pollo, which it, it just means chicken and rice, and that's what it is. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, except it, it's like with a little cilantro sauce um, on the rice, and so like the whole dish looks sort of green, um, mm-hmm. but it's really good. I like it a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. There's, um, it's like a soda, so it doesn't feel that traditional, but it's mm-hmm. called Inca Cola, and it's made with like this root from up in the mountains that's, um, it has a very like bubblegum taste, mm-hmm. but the drink is like bright yellow. Really? Um, and like, I've only recently started to like hunt it down here. Um, but that was like my favorite, one of my favorite foods, drinks, whatever, when I visited. That's cool. I, I One of the coolest things I've heard, I, one of my friends went to Mexico mm-hmm. and there was like a place that was serving fried mashed potatoes in a taco Ooh. in Mexico. And I'm like, that sounds like innovative. <laughs> <laughs> fried mashed potatoes and cheese. Unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> and a corn tortilla. And I'm like, that is, that, that's innovative. I really miss a lot of the Mexican food trucks we had in Texas, especially in Austin. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember there's this one food truck I went to, and, like, the people who were working in the food truck didn't speak English. So, like, I tried to explain to them, like, I'm a vegetarian. I don't know if they, I don't think they understood me. Oh. They gave me something. It was good, whatever it was. I, I don't know what it was called. It was, like, a kind of like a sandwich. It was, like, this really good bread. Mm-hmm. And then in side of it was like um like avocados and potatoes and like different vegetables and like this really good like green chili sauce mm-hmm. and I, I don't know what it was called but that was really good now my stomach's growling <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um we've also got here like to talk about like misconceptions about our cultures i feel like we've touched on that a lot um mm-hmm. already but do we feel like there's anything else to say on that I had like a point or two. If um, you can go first, and then I can go. Okay. Um, I was gonna say like we addressed this briefly earlier, but there's something about how like when you learn about European cultures, you're taught like they're very distinct things, whereas mm-hmm. when you learn about like Latin America, you just sort of lump it all together. Um, to the point that like that was something I experienced growing up was like when I was like oh yeah, like I'm, I'm Hispanic, people would say, oh, so you're Mexican? And this was like mm-hmm. primarily in like white rural Georgia, you know? So mm-hmm. again, same thing as you brought up, like it's a, it's a matter of like people's perspectives being limited by not knowing other people. But like yeah. a lot of the time when I tried to express like, no, my mom's, she's from Peru. Like people don't know where that is, or like uh, less so now. Like I, I think I keep more educated company these days. Yeah. But like, yeah. 
I don't know. So it's an interesting thing of like because like Mexican American culture is sort of like the dominant Latin culture here mm-hmm. in the states. It especially it an in- interesting like people want to think of it all as homogenous. Yeah. Like there are actually like little pockets of like separate like Latin communities within the greater Latin community. Yeah, and I was just going to say especially like in the west and like the southwest it's definitely there's a stronger Mexican presence, mm-hmm. but if you lived maybe in like Florida there'd be more of like a Puerto Rican mm-hmm. Cuban, Cuban presence, yeah. yeah. I have a friend who's uh, an immigrant from Venezuela mm-hmm. and uh he would he he, he got so mad he, you know <laughs> about things like that just growing right. up because like um, it was just the automatic assumption. Right. <laughs> so you're not alone on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say, kind of going off of what Devin was saying earlier, like Mexico is such a big country. Right. And like, I feel like, you know, most people in the United States, we understand like the United States is a melting pot. We have all these different cultures and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like Mexico, I believe, is just as big, if not bigger, than the United mm-hmm. States. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's just as diverse and not just Mexico but all the other countries I mean Brazil Argentina like those are huge countries and even like the smaller countries I'm sure are very diverse and that's just something I wish people could really grasp is like not everyone from Latin America is the same and um, we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday like talking about religion like you know, there's this idea that, like, everybody's Catholic. And, I mean, most people from Latin America are Catholic, but there's also a very strong Jewish presence in Latin America also. And the first synagogue in the Americas was actually in, I think it was Brazil. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I'm actually going to bring up a stereotype of uh, people in Latin America that I don't have too much problem with. I just think that it needs to be evolved. Um, is the idea that people that come from Latin America are hard workers. Mm. I think it's very true. I think that the way that it needs to evolve is that it's only a hard worker in the sense of, you know, working uh, really long hours and construction and things like that. I think, and I think it's going to just change naturally for the fact that, uh, 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 that as, as generations of immigrant people that used to that were immigrants are you know going to college going to school and working in different fields but i just know like every, everyone on my side of the family that's on that side of family extremely hard workers mm-hmm. a lot of people it's just it's a really cool thing that that's it's 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 it's, it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. that people view it's just the fact that people only view it from a blue collar perspective yeah, exactly. and uh it's gonna be something i think is gonna evolve towards any color. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's very much, it still feels like an assumption, like your construction people and your, like, people who take care of the lawn. Like, those are the kinds of jobs that people envision Latin American people having, and that's not, like... Like, the definition of hard work is not menial work. It's yeah. not, like, the worst work that we can throw off on people because they'll accept lower wages because they're struggling to exactly. get by, yeah. you know? So, yeah. But, yeah, but at the same time, it's, like, still, Latin American people, I think, are very hard workers. Right. <laughs> exactly. it, yeah. yeah. Um, something that I was going to say that you reminded me of, just about, like, the diversity within Mexico itself, is, like... Like, people have an image of what a person from Mexico or from any part of Latin America looks like. Um, and it's, like, it, it's very limiting. Um, because, like, there are people who are, like, 
like people born in Mexico who are white too. Like, and I feel like yeah. people with blue just, eyes. Yeah, white with blue eyes. People just like don't make that connection because like they don't think of it as like like it's very much like the U.S. in a lot of ways. You know, there you just have people who look different. You have a lot of like black Mexicans. You have black Latin Americans. Like there, everything people are so interconnected like this is an example more specific to peru peru has a lot of japanese immigration um Mm. like even the most recent um president was um a japanese peruvian and so that's like its own thing like where people like you can't assume just based on someone's name or based on what they look like like what their background is. You have to actually, like, sit down and have a conversation with them like we're doing now. Yeah. yeah. Like, the most popular boxer right now in Mexico is uh, half Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, Canelo okay. was his name. And, yeah, he's... A lot of people were surprised. I remember there's... The, you even see comments today of, like, like, wait, he has red hair? <laughs> <laughs> he's a Mexican boxer. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just genetics. Like, yeah. They're, they're crazy, you know, but... We can't control them, and they just turn out that way. I also have a really cool fact. Uh, so, <laughs> about the Mexican boxer? <laughs> no, not the Mexican boxer, but about... Um, so, apparently in the 1800s, there was a uh, migration towards Mexico from Mormons in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because of the laws about marriage. Okay. So, a lot of them moved to Mexico, and there's a lot of people in Mexico because of that who... You know, are are white, but they're but yeah. they're Mexican because of that big migration. Yeah. And actually, Mitt Romney's father was actually born in Mexico. He mm-hmm. was a part of that. Huh. And that uh, there was because there was talks about him running for president, but he couldn't because his dad had moved to Mexico due to the marriage laws in the United States. Huh. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that reminded me too, like in terms of like, like if you think about it, like where did white people in Latin America come from? You know, and like. I don't, like, some people have the assumption that people from Spain are, like, look like the same image of Latin American people that they have, when that's not true. True. Like, people from Spain largely look European, and it was that mixing of, like, the European look with mainly the indigenous look and the black look in Latin America that created, like, what what your like typical image like typical listener are yeah. thinking of when we say like a latin american person yeah and there was a lot of french immigration to mm-hmm. to mexico also right really yeah yeah but oh yeah i mean is, isn't there a couple of south american countries that they french is their language yeah yeah, yeah a couple. is it papagini I mean, that's a whole thing, too, is, like, when we say Latin America, like, that's Brazil also, and in Brazil that's you speak true. Portuguese rather than Spanish, and that's a whole other, like, subculture. Yeah. But, yeah. I have one more random fact. I'm so sorry. But who the most popular movie star in South America is? Who? Adam Sandler. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, like, his, out of, like, like his movies do the best in South America always, and there's a huge following for him in South America, and I've That's always thought really that was funny. an interesting factoid <laughs> of, oh. like, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm also a huge Adam Sandler fan. <laughs> do you know what the most popular music in Mexico is? No. Heavy metal. 
Oh. A friend told me that. Like, that's like the most popular music in Mexico is heavy metal. That's really? interesting. <laughs> so um, our listeners got a bunch of random facts. Yeah. <laughs> this is your education. <laughs> Outside of Hispanic Heritage Month, here are the facts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like we've had a really good conversation. And like we've said, like, that's, we're sort of modeling, like, the importance of having these conversations, you know, like, just asking people what their backgrounds are, regardless, I mean, like, not in an invasive way, like, I don't want to encourage you to walk up to somebody and be like, where are you from? (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. Um, But like, with a friend, you know, like, it's, it's always fun to sit down and hear like where somebody's family is from and yeah. like what does that mean to them like we've talked about food and music and literature like what are their favorite things about that background if it's something that is an important factor in their life and also yeah. knowing no matter where you come from uh you should never feel bad about your background yeah yeah i think the important thing is to just not make assumptions about people right. yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely um, I don't know if we want to end on that note. I can give a little sign off and Camille, please edit out the part we're talking about signing <laughs> We've off. been talking for almost 50 minutes, so okay. I think Jeez. we're good to wrap this up. <laughs> to okay, so this has been the Subscribe Podcast. We are, I'm Julia Jackson. I'm Taylor Burnfield. And I'm Devin Martinez. And thank you for listening to our discussion of Hispanic Heritage Month. Hey, don't forget to follow us on social media at UCCS Scribe. Yes.